Hello and a very warm welcome to our audience. The YP Foundation's Know Your Body, Know Your Rights program works to empower adolescents and youths across Delhi NCR, Bihar and Uttar Pradesh by delivering stigma-free and rights-affirming information on issues of health, sexuality and human rights and enables them to advocate for their well-being at the personal, community, state and national levels. In 2018, the program team created a new comprehensive sexuality education curriculum designed for 9 to 13 year old adolescents. This curriculum was drafted with the aim to equip adolescents with CSE related information at a younger age so they could be better prepared to deal with the changes in their bodies. The curriculum has been implemented with more than 400 adolescents between 2019 to 2020 in partnership with government schools and community based organizations from across Delhi and NCR. In this podcast today, we would be discussing the process of developing a comprehensive sexuality education curriculum for young adolescents and the processes of advocating and implementing this work. On the panel today, we have some of the most brilliant and fun people and professionals that I have had the pleasure to work with or be associated with in some or the other capacity in the past. So rather than doing the disservice of introducing them myself, I would actually invite our panelists to introduce themselves to the audience. Thanks, Amli. So, uh, hi, I'm Vaishali. I, I've been working in the quote-unquote development sector for the last seven years. Uh, still disillusioned, but still here. And um, I've been working on school education, child rights, and uh, gender violence. These are the things I've worked on in the past. And I did this work with uh, YPA almost two years ago, and it's a pleasure to be here today uh, discussing the curriculum. I think it was one of the most... Um, interesting and most uh, intense projects I have done. It's a pleasure to be a part of this call. I'm Manasa and uh, I currently work as a technical um, advisor on adolescent and youth development with an international organization, but I worked with um, the YP Foundation on the Know Your Body, Know Your Rights program and sexuality education for five years before I made this transition to look at a more broad set of issues that adolescents and youth face as they transition from adolescence to adulthood. I'm Pallavi. I work in the Know Your Body, Know Your Rights program uh, with Avli currently, but I've also worked with Mansa, like she mentioned, and I've been working in the program for almost four years now. And uh, what we do is we implement comprehensive sexuality education. My name is Avli. Uh, I always say this in all my introductions, so now I uh, might as well get this on record. I've been associated with YP for over six years now. I started working as a, a volunteer back in 2016. Then I worked as an intern and as a consultant associate. And now I'm working as a program coordinator across two programs. Uh, one is the KIPKA program on CSE and the other is a program on masculinities where I work with young men to create actions and dialogues that question patriarchal uh, notions and norms of masculinities. Before we begin, uh, just want to say to the audience that we have also recorded a very lovely podcast hosted by my colleague Arzu, where young adolescents have talked about their experiences of engaging with CSE. So please also check that out if you have not already. So I will begin with the question that I feel like anybody who's sort of interested in this work will encounter at some point or the other. 
Uh, why is CSE important for this particular age group, which is 9 to 13 year old? And is the impact of CSE for this age group different as compared to, say, older adolescents? I think when we started uh, you know, uh, working on the Know Your Body, Know Your Rights program, we were working with the 14 to 18 year old age group. And around you know, two years into the program, we realized that many young people encountered adolescence and you know, puberty, you know, changes during puberty, be it physical, uh, mental, emotional, at a much earlier age and we were perhaps reaching them too late when we were working with only the 14 to 18 year old community. And then when we also looked at the UNESCO guidance on comprehensive sexuality education, as well as the International Planned Parenthood guidance, we realized that they were indicating that it was imperative to begin working with adolescents at a much younger age. We personally then, you know, were even more sort of convinced, especially when we realized that child sexual abuse and, you know, vulnerabilities like child sexual abuse and gender-based violence were beginning at a much younger age. And perhaps young people in those age groups do not have the language to be able to articulate those experiences or describe those experiences or raise it with parents. And therefore, we realized that to be able to give them that language even name all parts of their anatomies to be able to describe the feelings of displeasure, disgust, dirty feelings that they may be undergoing. It may be important to uh, start much earlier. And at the same time, then we also realized that this is also a way to start giving them the pleasure discourse at a much younger age so that young people could start identifying not just what displeases them, but what pleases them, what gives them pleasure, what, what is something that they like at a much younger age. So that self-awareness and to that degree, bodily autonomy is enhanced right from the, an early age. So that's really why we began at uh, the age of nine. And uh, it's something that I still advocate for. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Manisa. Vaishali, Pallavi, is there anything that you would want to add? No, I mean, adding on to what Mansa said, I think while doing the while doing research for this as well, I think in 2010 or 11, the government did this review of adolescent education program and students there had also said that, uh, and more girls uh, than boys had favored that it would be better to start uh, this kind of, uh, you know, education earlier. I think there's very strong evidence from young people as well that they do want to engage with this information earlier. And we can't deny that there is like physical changes are also starting much earlier. And Mansa rightly pointed out, I think uh, abuse and violence begins much, much, much earlier. And at the same time, there is also a lot of sexualized content around and it's just being thrown in everybody's faces. So uh, how do you sort of build a healthy atmosphere right from the beginning is something that was driving this project. Thank you, Vaishali. I would say with this group, they are more open, you know, like because when you're starting as young as nine, you see that a lot of adolescents at that point of age are not set in their ways. So all the gender stereotypes that are imposed on us that are downloaded in our bodies, like, you know, like once you reach say around 12 or 13, uh, like young, young people between uh, at the age of nine or 10, like just in more open to the idea of learning new things. Thank you, Pallavi, and thank you to Vaishali and Mansa for your responses. I guess my next question is sort of to Vaishali. What was the process of developing this 9 to 13 CSE curriculum like? 
and if you could sort of begin by telling us what like how we characterize like 9 to 13 years old and how that sort of has an impact on how you develop that curriculum and just sort of like also conclude your response to talking a little bit about the challenges that you might have encountered in the process of developing this curriculum and, and like how you dealt with those challenges yeah sure no so i i'll go by the process and then of course uh, talk about the challenges and how we tried to you know put in systems to mitigate them like one of the biggest focuses and also a challenge there are so many developmental and social differences between uh, even 9 to 13 so i mean if you just look at it from a school perspective like 9 year olds and 10 year olds are in like fourth fifth they're in primary school right and then they shift to upper primary or secondary whatever so i mean there is quite a difference between this age group within this age group itself uh, and that's why we sort of while developing the curriculum we were very conscious of this and uh, the curriculum has been written uh, keeping in mind these two groups right like 9 to 11 was one and 12 to 12 and 13 was one so you know just uh, keeping that in mind and ensuring the facilitator also understands this while facilitating because when your activities change right like a 13 year old is not going to find a, an action song cool but a 9 year old would absolutely love it like these are small things but this was one of the uh, main things that was like we were very conscious of while developing the curriculum so i'll i'll just go over the uh, uh, process a little bit so what we really wanted to focus on just like pallavi said that they are they are much more open right like usually um, you see when we're uh, delivering something on uh, gender or sexuality with Uh, older adolescents uh, you would uh, you, your focus is more on challenging their set notions the conditioning or uh, say like you know a challenge the stereotypes or those kind of things but uh, with 9 to 13 year old they they've not formed these things so strongly yet so keeping um, th- that in mind i think and also so the first thing uh, that at least while uh, developing curriculum that i did was also review a lot of the material that was already there so we did like a thematic review uh, of all the resources available and there were some very like obvious common things that were coming up and uh, taking from the technical guidance as well like uh, we zeroed down on some of the concepts uh, that absolutely need to be uh, need to be delivered in the curriculum and before before even starting that um, i did a very tiny exercise where just asked some very basic questions to myself and some friends and family which was uh, to think back to the first time you got curious about sex or menstruation or any of these things and what were the some of the things that you were disgusted by because remember this is also the age where you're thinking all this is yucky like cheese ke bare mein kaun baat karega like mat karo you know children also don't like young people also like not all of them want to talk about it especially not from somebody older so that exercise was also really helpful because you have to get into the mindset of uh, okay when we were younger how was it so uh, i think starting from that i think we also included in the manual because uh, because the responses varied and were quite interesting from everyone um so uh, then of course we zeroed down on learning objectives and objectives uh, and it was good that we had a cap on the number of sessions we had because one of the challenges one of the main challenges also it's such a wide topic right and there's so much to talk about and so much to like uh, you know discuss and everything seems important uh, but really distilling it down to the bare essentials that we require to orient uh, young people 
towards uh, the subject uh, was something that was quite a uh, quite a challenge but it was really good to have that uh, limit uh, from the beginning so i already knew that i have only 10 sessions so then the process of elimination started really uh, early and well i think um, and one thing that uh, 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 that at least i try to consciously put in is um, the curriculum adopted a spiral approach so um, recall is extremely important for this age group right like you have to repeat and recall things uh, in different ways so that uh, they become really main takeaways you you would see that some themes would uh, come back in some sessions and we also very consciously put that in the curriculum in the facilitators notes so this curriculum more than the session activities and all it has like a it has a lot of facilitator notes and that's one of the ways also where we try to uh, mitigate any sort of difficulties that may arise while implementing the curriculum and i think we will get on uh, discussing more about that later once the first draft of the curriculum was done uh, there was it was implemented and then after that we did a review and i think that was a really good part of the process um where we took feedback from children and young adolescents and the facilitators and mansa palvi and i all three of us we just like sat together and then from there we got a lot of insights about uh, what was working on the field and not working in terms of activities in terms of sequencing very important sequencing so um, and then we finally revised the curriculum and then it was implemented so this was the process that was followed and some of the resources that really helped was this book by kamla bhasin on atishora uh, vasta and uh, tathapi had some resources but what we also found was some of it was quite dated uh, like palavi said there is an opportunity there's a big opportunity with this age group to set in Uh, the right kind of atmosphere for all this right you can have a great curriculum you can have all of that but if it's not implemented in the right way and if it's not inclusive from the start um it just then ends up becoming topics that was delivered so we spent a lot of time with the facilitators and the language in the curriculum uh, and if i have to talk about one of the biggest challenges uh, is that uh, the words and concepts um i think the gender and sexuality space uh, has uh, evolved quite a bit owing to a lot of people's contributions um uh, and there are many words which are still quite uh, english oriented and we don't have uh, you know the most appropriate or the like the best translation uh, of it in hindi and other regional languages so there was this uh, like really a great thing that uh, i found which was the michigan state university guidelines Uh, which was for this age group and uh, they very nicely divide uh, development into like physical social emotional and intellectual development and it's i mean you can look it up as well but here what helped us is like i said no we had divided it into 9 to 9 to 11 and 12 to 13 as another age group right so like and then in this if you see like the physical changes that are happening uh, just in terms of the body right like in terms of muscle development in terms of uh, maturation stages and differences between uh, sexes and genders as well and then according to that planning activities so for the younger group we had like more hands on activities whether jumping and talking and more movement oriented activities and then for 12 to 13 you do more sort of thinking and writing and more coordinating because they also like engaging with their friends a lot at this age group Uh, so these were some of the things that we followed 
and their relationship with the facilitator as well in those age groups is quite different so then how do you manage that relationship so all of this is part of the curriculum and the manual and like i said we focused a lot more on facilitator notes and the facilitator manual and this is it's 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 really nice table and even though it's made for an american context i think it it had it lent itself well uh, for us while making this curriculum as well and how to handhold the two groups was uh, another thing that we tried to provide with the curriculum so one of the main things to encounter i mean obviously there w- would be challenges while implementing right so some of the things that we tried to do was put in systems and processes to ensure that there is a safe space and so uh, i think making that part of the design of the curriculum also made a huge difference so like we had the samad sawal peti and we also planned for a parental engagement and you know just having days off to discuss freely i think these were some of the things that we tried to do facilitate the curriculum effectively okay thank you vishali echoing what pallavi said before and also what uh, sort of vishali pointed out in her response is that while young adolescents are very receptive to uh, cse based information advocating for at least from the from my sense is that uh, advocating for young adolescents to have cse based information is sort of harder especially because of that particular age group so just actually wanted mansa and pallavi to come in and just sort of talk about how advocacy for cse for younger adolescents is, is sort of different from doing the same with older ones and what are some of the challenges that are generally encountered in in advocating for this work and if there are any sort of successful advocacy strategies that you sort of identified in your work with rpvv and implementing this curriculum in general you know when it comes to comprehensive sexuality education in general um there is a and the development sector in general of course uh you know comprehensive sexuality education uh became a comfortable buzzword uh, you know eventually uh, initially obviously there was a lot of opposition to the word sexuality there was a lot of conversation around how we could call this rights and gender education life skills education 2.0 an extension of life skills education but never really what it actually is comprehensive sexuality education and then suddenly it became you know a terminology that we could just sort of chapo onto everything that we do uh, so now comprehensive sexuality education the og comprehensive sexuality education has become really hard to like put a pin on right because everybody has their own version of comprehensive sexuality education uh you have states that claim they've been running comprehensive sexuality education when it comes to global partnerships countries are claiming they've mainstreamed comprehensive sexuality education sometimes uh, we claim this too uh but it is becoming increasingly eroded uh the discourse and the honesty with which comprehensive sexuality education is actually pursued uh when it comes to younger adolescents this is in general comprehensive sexuality education for adolescents is difficult terrain to navigate simply because of the infantilization that takes place with adolescents and youth um overall right uh, and more so with um uh adolescent girls and other marginalized gender identities so uh typically when it comes to the 9 to 13 cohort it was um i mean it was definitely an uphill task because infantilization uh, you know set into the extreme there was plenty of backlash that we faced implementing this curriculum from um you know teachers from parents from uh, young people who's uh, who had confided to their parents and who were then uh uncomfortable because of the uh discomfort they had inherited from their parents 
responses or reactions to the fact that they were learning comprehensive sexuality education. Mm -hmm. Legally, there are actual barriers in the form of, uh, you know, prevention of uh, child sexual offenses, which is the FOXO 2012 that came about uh, that says that any minor under the age of 18 um, and, you know, any knowledge that a young uh, a minor um, has had a sexual encounter is something that needs to be mandatorily reported by all authorities or anyone that comes into interaction uh, with this minor. These have been the, you know, these are these are evergreen challenges in the uh, landscape of comprehensive sexuality education that exists until date. Even though there is a technical, international technical guidance that states comprehensive sexuality means you need to have all of these topics right from anatomy till sort of abortion that you're talking about and addressing in detail, you know, comprehensively. Um, age appropriate, but comprehensively nevertheless. Um, but none of that is really honestly an implementation on, on ground. Uh, it is just, it's really the YT Foundation, among other uh, organizations that we actually partner with, uh, like say a Love Matters or, uh, you know, an Agents of Ish are some of the very few organizations that really spell out uh, sexuality, sexual intercourse, and all of these topics in detail. Sexuality in itself, in common parlance, is probably one of those topics that is the least explored. So the most hard when it comes to comprehensive sexuality education to actually explain even to a you know, policy maker or a school principal or a school teacher who are your typical gatekeepers uh, to you know, adolescent populations. So that in itself is difficult, right? Sexuality in itself to explain and build a case for sexuality is so difficult because it's locked away in these chambers of, uh, or these silos, uh, which are, you know, the silos of, uh, you know, that sexualize the discourse or medicalize the discourse or intellectualize the discourse. And it's really seldom outside of these silos. Of course, now you have Instagram, but that's its own silo, right? Its own sort of locked up uh, space um, or gatekept space. Uh, so, you know, and, and when you take up the conversation of comprehensive sexuality education, this is something we've also had to learn along the way. And it's an important lesson for anybody that wants to uh, engage deeply with sexuality education is that you need strong systems of redressal in place, you know, in that space that you're entering and in that space that you will be uh, imparting comprehensive sexuality education. Uh, you need the support of systems of redressal, uh, be it the school space, be it the you know, out-of-school space, uh, you, you need these uh, systems of redressal in place, secured already. Otherwise, it becomes very difficult uh, when, when, you know, when there are uh, disclosures that take place and young people come up to you and say, we've been violated, for you to be able to provide the kind of support and redressal that is required, it becomes near impossible. So this is something that is, it's not a challenge, it's a reality that we need to work with. Thank you, Mansa. I think you very comprehensively covered, uh, you know, the kind of challenges one faces around the uh, around the discourse that is comprehensive sexuality education. Uh, I am going to talk a little bit more about the kind of challenges one faces while, uh, you know, like working with the stakeholders uh, um, that surround young people or adolescents or their or their ecosystem. So, and when I'm saying stakeholders, I really uh, mean parents or guardians, service providers or teachers who in one way or the uh, other engage with young people, talk to these adolescents and are present whenever they are, they have some sort of a question, right? So I think, uh, and, and why this is important is because, you know, like 
you can provide you are providing comprehensive sexuality education to a to an adolescent in order to capacitate them uh, to to know better about their right uh, rights about their bodies about their health about their well being but this oh, this information can only go like further in so many ways there has to be an enabling environment a supportive environment in which they they are really like you know um uh they are encouraged to ask questions they are encouraged to you know challenge the status quo and that can only happen once you are also trying to engage these uh stakeholders in the ecosystem of these adolescents right so um and coming back to these stakeholders then i think one of the major challenges that uh, we have seen on field is uh, is with the fact that you know like like these these people are too young these people are too young to be having uh, access to this sort of an information and this is wrong like they they will not be able to understand any of the, any any of these things that you are trying to teach them um and this comes from uh, really from teachers from parents they they say that you know like my my kid has never come to me with this sort of a question so why are they coming to you and like you must be doing something you know so i think and one of the strategies that we adapt to to mitigate this particular challenge is to have honest conversations is to build evidence generate evidence and provide it to these stakeholders so that they do believe in uh, that you know like these young people are capable enough of asking these questions if given the right information and they do have these questions existing already it's just the environment is such that they they don't feel safe enough to uh, like you know ask these questions so for example with teachers what we did was that we we presented them the kind of questions we got in the sessions uh, anonymously of course um and you know like told them see this is the question this is the list of questions that we got from the students from your classes and and all of them were quite surprised with the quality of the questions that were coming up of the kind of details that were being asked in the questions right even with with the parents um try to like i think like one one of the major tools that have worked for us is trying to build empathy you know so asking a parent that what were the kind of questions that you had when you were an adolescent and you know like what what do you think were your needs do you think those needs have changed now you know so really building that point of you know like you have been through this before and so now your child is also probably going through the same thing so do you not want uh, the things for them to change you know uh, so so these are the kind of tactics that that you use in in your um conversations with them and and have as many open dialogues as possible right because because i really feel that's the key and and in these open dialogues also adapt to activities so do role plays do stance taking because all of that really helps in in building a nuance around why this this access to cse is important and there's a strategy that uh, we uh, adopt in the uh, in while talking to stakeholders is about the need to equip these young people and adolescents uh, with the vocabulary around, around consent to equip them with the right kind of information around redressal in case something happens um to 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 also just equip them with with the vocabulary around violence to recognize unpack and understand violence when it's happening and what is it that they can do around it right 
um and while i'm saying this i do realize that this is a very reductive redu reductive way of looking at uh, cse and from a very preventive point of view but sometimes it does work really well uh, with with all of these stakeholders that we are trying to uh, get a buy in from so that also works really well uh, there is definitely a whole space that has been created for ha abhi bachcho ke sath to sexual abuse ke bare mein baat karna hi hai you know so you do get a um, uh, an entry point that is i would say we should like use it as an entry point to start talking about all the other things as well uh, but parents are also quite concerned and there's a lot of uh, lot of ecosystem building that has been happening for that uh, but at the same time the risk is that then you just focus and it becomes this whole scary thing uh, the first session of the curriculum is just about change right and uh, the entire curriculum is has been prepared also with that pitch that this is just for you to uh, be ready for what's to come because a lot is going to happen right um, so i think um, that also helps because like i said even young people would be like why are you doing this with us why do we need to sit for this uh, it is i i encounter that a lot um, but when you talk to them about change and you know just keeping it very open and simple that ye to hone wala hai na so don't you want to talk about it um and uh, you really do see the responses like pallavi was saying and uh, it was very heartening to see some i, I remember the these two girls said that um i know my elder sister menstruates and i know that things happen but now even i know what's going to happen so you know these kind of things really give you that um information that yes you do need to start this younger and you can also convince the adults around because they are the ones who screw up everything usually um so uh, I, i think these are some of the things just pitching it as uh, this is a preparation kind of thing um you know and orientation uh, towards what's to come uh, also i think helps in advocating for cse i was just thinking some other successful strategies especially when it comes to philanthropies and donor organizations that we talk to um has definitely been to also talk about the bigger picture and the bigger picture uh, and i'm sure um, you know pallavi and i have discussed this multiple times before the bigger picture is also to connect these outcomes back to resilience self efficacy to even expand the narrative so that it gets socio political sanction so that sex gets socio political sanction to say it is true that i mean self awareness cannot be achieved unless and until you really are familiar with your body with what your body is uh, you know um, is comfortable with what your body desires what your body dislikes what your body wants to be uh, these are all important pillars that really uh, fulfill your self um, awareness journey and your uh, you know by virtue of that uh, also the sort of personal autonomy journey um and you know definitely then further agency as well and you know if these important pillars are missed then your in indicators when it comes to um you know uh, self um, uh, actual i mean self awareness um uh self efficacy and agency are going to be diminished so um actually building that strong case and i think there is still a lot of work left to be done in this sector to build that strong case because um a it gives you social political sanction and that i mean it seems it seems funny but it's but it's also true it is so true because these are fundamental pillars in being able to achieve self efficacy and agency and you know diminished knowledge on this subject does take away from the capacity of a young person to be able to negotiate their overarching overall freedoms 
So um, I do think that that's an important strategy that we've been able to employ with donors quite successfully to further uh, YP's uh, you know, resource pool when it comes to sexuality education. Um, and it's just something that the international community has to buck up and do better so that we're able to widen the pot for comprehensive sexuality education to become more mainstream uh, you know, across the board. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with that. And, and you know, like we, we do need to look at the larger picture over here. And, and that's something that does happen, right? If I were to give an example from one of our implementation cases, especially around school, we were working with um, students from 6th, 7th and 8th standard. And by the end of the implementation, the teachers themselves were very cognizant and aware of the fact that the the kind of articulation that that a, a student say from eighth standard or even a seventh standard had was was much more nuanced and much more you know like rights based and much more affirming uh, rights affirming in comparison to say when a ninth or a tenth standard uh, student was talking about health or well being and and that confidence of talking about health and well being and just affirming their own rights is something that did come from this intervention of comprehensive sexuality education of receiving cse rather right and i think one of the biggest uh, uh, um, outcomes of this was that, you know, like, uh, especially in Kuwait schools, we see that, you know, like there's this binary of uh, boys versus girls, which is sometimes hypersexualized. What we saw by the end of, of the implementation is that that became very, very normal, you know, that became very, okay, I know what you're going through. I know the kind of changes you are going through, you know, what the, the kind, of, kind of changes I am going through and, and let's be with each other. Okay, like let's let's try and understand each other better rather than be being competitors of sorts or or trying to put each other down um, in some way or the other. Uh, so Vishali has already sort of spoken about how to create that buy-in with adolescents and sort of talking about how do they respond to uh, CSE related information when you implement the curriculum. So actually talking to both of you in terms of what have your experiences been with talking to adolescents on the field and how have they sort of uh, responded to the CSE sessions or CSE related information in the past? Yeah, I think I have one story that I've shared with Pallavi a couple of times already. And I think I want to put it on record because it's one of the possibly like, I think most moving stories for me in that like that really opened my eyes to how meaningful the, I mean, obviously I've been working on this for long enough to know that this is truly transformatory. There was this one conversation, for instance, that I was having having with um, a young girl from uh, Bihar, uh, Bodh Gaya, and we were talking, and it was kind of in between sessions. You know, we were kind of um, catching a chai break, and I was having a conversation with her, and she was talking to me about uh, wanting to become a nun, uh, what uh, you know, and really wanting to sort of dedicate herself to um, the Lord. And I thought that it was a very, I thought, and she was so she was so sure about it. So I was quite well, I was quite. Uh, impressed and at the same time curious that somebody at the age of uh, 16, 17 was so sure that they wanted to take up a life of sort of dedication to the Lord. And I was kind of having a conversation with her and asking her how she decided that she wanted to be a nun. And uh, somewhere along the line, she was talking about her discomfort with uh, uh, touch and, uh, you know, as one of the sort of main causes for, you know, driving her to this decision. And um, I was talking to her about uh, discomfort with touch being a specific challenge that could be mitigated in other ways, um, you know, whilst keeping her aspirations broader. So I said that it's not necessary to narrow your aspirations to 
you know, one sort of pathway or way of life, but you could be uh, multiple other things, anything you want to be and still manage to, uh, you know, uh, negotiate with your partner and with other people that you do not want to be touched and you want to retain um, that level of uh, bodily autonomy. And then we spoke for a little longer and kind of 20 minutes into the conversation, she spoke about how it was really not uh, touched that she was averse to, but uh, marriage. And then we had a conversation about how the institution of marriage is not for everyone and it does not need to be, it's not mandatory, it is something that's actually choice-based and can be rejected. And then sort of 40 minutes into the conversation, she kind of recounted that um, he actually was not averse to the institution of marriage as much as she was averse to becoming pregnant and, you know, having sex. And then we spoke for a while about how that was choice-based too. And that's something that can be rejected. That's something that is not mandatory. That is something that can be negotiated. That is something that is fully up to her. It's based on her consent because it's her body. And we had the entire length. And I felt like I discussed much of the curriculum with her, uh, basis her, you know, initial decision that she had sort of shared with me about wanting to become a nun. And then I realized that these are huge life decisions you're making at the age of, and you're asked to make at a very young age, especially in cultures like um, India uh, and, uh, you know, where early and forced child marriage is a reality of many, um, you know, um, adolescent girls and boys and uh, trans persons. Um, it's a common sort of reality. People are forced into um, heterosexual marriages. Um, um, and there's lots of driving factors, right? Poverty is one of the main key um, factors. Um, another factor is, of course, uh, patriarchal social norms and, uh, you know, systems like dowry that, uh, you know, fuel this. Um, and so when I was, I mean, I, I realized that by the age of 15, um, you know, adolescents, especially adolescent girls, are being asked to make huge life-changing decisions, like getting married. Um, and they're, they're not being, I mean, they're not even being asked to make, they're being told to make, they're being forced to make. And with such little information on their hands, they don't even realize that it's, you know, it's actually something that could be a choice. Um, I mean, it should be, ought to be a choice, ought to be, you know, um, it's something that you are, you know, fully, your full consent is taken for, um, you know, who, when to get married, whom to get married, whether to marry or not, all of these things are choice and choices. And I think that comprehensive sexuality education is fundamental when it comes to talking about this. And that, and that's why I kind of shared that experience to really talk about if I had not had that conversation with that person, if that person had not been a recipient of the adolescent sexuality education curriculum, I really wonder where she would have been a couple of months from then. Because Two months into the program, when we went back to visit Bihar, we heard that she had actually um, refused to get married to somebody else, had actually come out to her parents that she was in love with somebody else and, and was attracted to somebody else and was negotiating the freedom to be able to stay in a relationship with that person, with her parents. And I'm not saying, I mean, I was instrumental in that happening, but I do believe that the program was instrumental in giving her the language, the confidence, and, you know, the awareness to be able to negotiate her own sexual reproductive freedoms, but also her, you know, her aspirations, future. Um, so I think it's, I think, I, you know, I think this curriculum is probably the most important thing you could impart because it's so strongly linked to so many fundamental decisions that we ask young people to make around, you know, ages when they're not, they've really not had a chance to critically uh, think, evaluate their strengths, their futures, their aspirations. It's linked to all of that. Thank you, Mansa. Uh, I do remember that story. And I think I, I'm in complete agreement. Um, you know, like what this what this curriculum or what comprehensive sexuality education does, it 
it gives you a power of recognizing like you know like various aspects of your life be it your likes or dislikes or desires something that you don't like uh, or you know something that turns you off and like you know like it also gives you a skill to be able to articulate as to what is it that you're feeling both of these things missing from the context uh, completely at the voice from the especially from the formal curriculum that we have in our schools right now um you know like and these are these are extremely extremely important things to know of for example uh, one of the incident that um, i was thinking about that 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 obviously like you know when that happened it was quite impactful on me because we were we were doing this session on gender in one of the centers in uh, delhi and um we were talking about you know like how gendered household dynamics can be and how gendered is or like how gendered like say something like a, like food distribution in your house also can be you know and and we were just talking about it and some of them like you know they were listening some of them were uh, not able to relate so we were just like okay so so you know like what what is a better way to like you know maybe make them understand or like you know like talk about it and then this there was this one uh, 9 year old girl and she she's like ki to aapke kehne ka matlab ye hai didi that uh, you know mujhe jo raat mein doodh kam milta ya kabhi kabhi nahi milta aur mere bhai ko hamesha milta hai वो इसलिए मिलता है क्योंकि वो लड़का और मैं लड़की हूँ एंड वी वो लाइक दिस दिस कुड बी वन ऑफ द रीजन यू नो एंड फॉर हर मोमेंट लाइक यू कुड सी इट ऑन अ फेस बिकॉज शी यूज लाइक शी कुडेंट बिलीव दिस इज द रीजन दैट शी इज गेटिंग लेस मिल्क देन हर ब्रदर सो सो यू नो लाइक एंड शी हैड प्योर्स इन योर आईज एंड आई थिंक दैट वॉज intense but you know like for me why why i'm quoting that incident because a lot of time people people do think that you know young people don't understand much they won't be able to understand nuances of a discourse but what we often forget that like the discourses that we just talk about like young people are living it like you know like they they are situated in that dynamic uh, in in that household where like there's so many gendered power dynamics that everybody is experiencing it in in one way or the other so you know like that that incident i think like we we obviously had like a lot of follow up co- conversations with her but this particular incident only code because you know like you you see it you see that people are able to understand you see that how people are able to understand discrimination when it's happening are able to articulate it and are able to also then ask you know okay so what do i do about it like what what is it that i can do how do i make this not happen and to be able to figure this out at at an age of say 9 or 10 it's it's incredible like this kind of self awareness that you bring along from that point of time is is transformative i would say so i can share one more example that i remember during implementation in the delhi government school that we mm-hmm. conducted um over the course of like last year and the year before that and there was this one boy who was around the age of 11 uh who was very fond of kathak and he was one of our uh, you know participants and when we were going over the entire session on gender and uh, gendered expression um, and you know how gendered expression can be and how gender roles can be he was really uh, moved by that session so he came up to the facilitators after the session and he was discussing and i happened to be a part of that discussion where he was telling us that uh, a lot of the time he wants to i mean he's a he's very passionate about kathak he learns kathak but he's never able to talk to his classmates about his love for kathak because i mean they make so much fun of him and it's seen as mm-hmm. a very feminine um, art form and he doesn't know how to sort of 
negotiate that particular difference. So I do, I mean, I think it's it's just so personal. I think we've seen these, this curriculum and sexuality education mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, you know, when it, whether it comes to hobbies, whether it comes to careers, whether it comes to roles, whether it comes to identities that they want to carve out for themselves. Um, and I think that all of those things are perhaps the you know most powerful thing about comprehensive sexuality education. And funnily enough, it's I think sometimes this power that gatekeepers of yeah, you know adolescents also fear that if they were to discover these secrets and you know um, they would be so hard to control. I am glad that both of you shared your experiences from the field. That is also because I feel like one of the sort of things that I really liked about implementing on field was that it created that space for adolescents to approach uh, like fellow volunteers and sort of talk to them about their experiences. This is also something that I've realized after I've finished an implementation online after COVID is that that it's very like hard to create that sort of space online now. So just sort of getting a sense of, and this is for all the panelists, is how do you sort of see the impact of of the pandemic on young people's access to CSE-based information? And how do you make a case for CSE at a time when everything that is non-COVID is sort of being deprioritized? Uh, yes, I think it would be extremely difficult. I mean, in, in the online version, I, I was actually curious to know how this is being done online because I remember while developing the curriculum itself, one of my main concerns was that uh, see, like I said before, you can have a great curriculum, but it's all about how it's being implemented, how it's being delivered and what kind of space is being created, right? And to discuss these things, like all of the stories that Mansa and Pallavi shared, they also happened, or even in your experience, Avli, they also happened because young people have felt that safety to share. And then at the same time, when they go back, they are still going back to their realities and uh, those sort of power dynamics at home. You can't uh, be totally disruptive and uh, without a support system implementing um, is, is quite uh, uh, risky, I would say. So, and online, I think one of the main uh, challenges is that, you know, you lose that freedom to speak, to say, uh, and a lot of, I think a lot of communication also happens, you know, through your body, which is, I think, missing when it goes online. Uh, but at the same time, I think everybody's adapted quite well to the space. There is now orientation to, okay, this is how this can happen this way. Um, but I think the internet as a whole, of course, has been a safe space for a lot of people uh, to um, uh, access information, uh, to you know access spaces that they might not be able to meet and do uh, things otherwise. But at the same time, I think uh, delivering this course online, I, I, I would really like to hear Mansa and Pallavi say more because I, I, I think the, that safe space creation would be so much more difficult uh, online. And of course, the impact of COVID with uh, funders to do this right now. Um, yeah, I'm also curious to know how they navigated the space. I'll just say a very, I mean, very little because I also know that YP Foundation, since I sort of transitioned out of the organization, has been doing intensive sort of online work on comp comprehensive sexuality education. So um, y'all are the real experts on this particular piece. I was just, you know, what struck me is actually Vaishali's last comment, which is so true. So when it comes to sort of one-on-one -on -one communication, the kind of anonymity that online spaces provide has always been a sort of a boon for 
you know, um, young people who are, uh, you know, non-binary young people who are trans, young people who are just discovering their sexuality online to actually, I mean, anonymity has accorded us much space to really explore and feel comfortable online, um, you know, and seek information on around sexual reproductive rights, um, you know. But then when it comes to doing a curriculum with young people um, and many a time young people who do not have um, a you know privacy to be able to engage with this kind of um, you know content online be do not have their own access to their own internet enabled devices to be able to control their communications end to end and interactions end to end with this kind of content it has been absolutely it's so challenging to really have a meaningful, structured, um, you know, conversation that is allowing for, um, you know, uh, uh, meaningful engagement and is allowing for um, uptake. Um, so uh, even though I haven't run formal baselines and endlines or, you know, pre-post tools to understand what the, whether the level of uptake has been different, uh, I already know that the level of conversation, the quality of conversation has dropped, quality of dialogue has dropped, simply because when you're working with uh, you know, uh, communities that, um, you know, live in uh, rural settings, communities that live in um, urban, you know, um, urban, urban but low resource localities, the space, the physical space that they have been provided, uh, or, and the, you know, forget the physical space, but the boundaries of their privacy are so uh, narrow or so, um, you know, uh, are closing in on them that they don't have that opportunity or that luxury to be able to engage in longer discourse uh, dialogue around um, these kind of issues that are deemed typically um, sensitive or deemed, um, you know, are, are stigmatized by family and society society members that live around them or who are occupying the space around them. That's been, um, I think, really, really challenging. Another obvious challenge has been, I mean, a gender challenge. You know, typically, given the kind of gender roles that a role division that takes place within the, uh, you know, within the home. Um, I, I have found that adolescent girls cannot engage at length with uh, uh, coursework anymore simply because they're constantly being pulled into doing household chores, they're multitasking, they're task switching, sometimes they're not there when they're trying to be there, parents are pulling them in to do other things because, um, you know, uh, learning and, uh, and, you know, information and knowledge is not taken as seriously for their sort of... Uh, um, uh, futures by you know their own family members and uh, relatives so it's become increasingly difficult to get them on the phone for uh, longer hours to be able to engage with them so that's also something that we've been typically struggling with. I completely agreeing again like you know like it is it has become doubly hard uh, to be able to engage uh, young people uh, like you know on issues around comprehensive sexuality education virtually simply because like we we have i think already covered like the kind of badges we all we all have faced while doing this kind of work on ground um, you know like uh, from parents on from like different kind of stakeholders that that are there in the ecosystem of an adolescent right uh, taking and there at least like what made it a little bit easier is that we were able to get 
a room you know like we were able to get a room uh, where there were not like the, the gatekeepers from the ecosystem were not present in that room and and that helped immensely in in trying to like you know like just trying to have like conversations around gender around sexuality around violence like you know like just conversations what has happened while we are translating this online is a like like a huge impact on pedagogy because like like Vishali was also speaking about you know like how while the curriculum was being made like there were a lot of changes like you know we, we were thinking about okay what what would engage like a nine year old more than say a 13 year old and it was fun like you know like we we came up with a lot of fun activities fun songs that we could do and it really worked on film like anytime like anybody would be like um no i cannot understand this anyway like this is not this is not what i want to learn or i'm getting bored we had solutions to literally each of those emotions right now virtually we are just stuck right like we are stuck to a screen uh with no control whatsoever on the other side uh we we um, so so that so the pedagogy is one thing that we cannot like uh maybe do like dance whenever we want you know like we we cannot do we can't do like a physical activity so for example like you know in the curriculum there's this rainbow revolution of sorts like an activity where we we do like we ask the participants to hold up different kind of colors of of or like colors of ribbons and just hold it together and just like you know like draw a metaphor as to like how do we want to see the society do we want to see it in black and white or do we want to see it as colorfully as like these ribbons are now this these kind of activities is just not possible online right so you have to resort to other ways now the second thing that happens in the other ways because the other ways really you switching on your camera and and trying to do like you know like uh, kanpur nagpur or like this another energizer that we we could do now but for some people internet is just not good enough you know like there is if they switch on the video they will drop out of the call so so then what do you prioritize really second thing is some people just might not have the phone or like you know like their parents are going out at 4:30 and the session is say from 4 to 5 so they are only able to attend half the session and then they have to give the phone to their parents uh because there is there is no other resource through which they could join the session virtually the other thing is of course like the complete absence of safe spaces um whatever like so, so like you know like if we are talking about something to do with bodily anatomy um if we are showing certain images of sorts or like you know it's it's difficult for the, like like for the participant it's very scary because what if somebody is looking over their shoulder so we have seen our participants like we what we do is we give like warnings that okay now we are going to see some content uh, now we are going to talk about certain things uh, so would request you to get into a safe space uh, keep yourself on mute and oh, like you know wear headphones or earphones so that nobody else is able to listen uh, uh, to these sessions and your and your uh, like your safety is intact because uh, the reason of taking all these precautions is not to say that you know uh, this is wrong and like we want to hide it uh, but we want we want it to be confidential so that the stigma uh, the shame that is attached to an issue like this which which can get get like you know like severe backlash is something that that could have that's something that when happened before covid we could also play an active role in mitigating that backlash but right now that participant is alone in that house and there is really nothing else or not much that we as yp 
can do right so we we try to ensure as much as uh, like you know or we take as much safety precautions as possible but ultimately like what happens is it's 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 really not safe i think one of the things that we've been able to do is for example say you know we are doing an online quiz and we are like we, we are talking about so what what is the option that you would choose and say like you know like the option is maybe talking about uh, say a condom right or say say uh, a penis or a vagina and if they are not able to say it out loud because they will not be able to say out loud if there are people around them we we have been able to code all of the responses so we always put like a number in front of these things and we just ask them to call out the numbers oh so you don't have to say the full name you now just have to say the code that's written over there to ensure that you are able to participate as much as you can and and also like not feeling left out because what also happens in virtual uh, sessions is like you know like sometimes if you're not if the participants is not given enough chance to engage um they might feel bored they might feel left out and it's very hard as a facilitator to be able to maintain that sort of that sort of an environment you know like where like everybody is feeling equally like you know like they're able to participate in an equal manner uh, it's also very intimidating for us as facilitators because sometimes what happens is like nobody speaking like you've just finished like talking about an issue and nobody has a single response and you're not able to figure out is it because we were not audible did the video stop um are they like are they not understanding because of this particular style that we had adapted to to like you know like uh, adapted to the virtual content like what is it that is not working out and the responses are also quite varied um so yeah like it's it's gotten really really tough i would say to to transfer this kind of information online uh, but at the same time having said talked about all of these difficulties i think like the fact that we have been able to say reach out to so sure earlier we were reaching to say 50 adolescents on field right now we are only able to reach say 15 or 20 the outreach has reduced by a lot but we we try our level best to maintain the same kind of quality online um inviting obli also to please add anything that i i might have missed on yeah though pallavi i think uh, i think you covered most everything and yeah like i said previously i think for me like the thing that i missed the most in sort of a virtual implementation setup was to uh, lose out on those peripheral spaces where adolescents would approach us and actually share personal experiences i think even the uh, uh, even the translation of uh sawal sambhat peti into the online uh, sort of virtual medium that we did through slido i think that that didn't go very well for us because the adolescents i think just generally have been finding this virtual space uh to share especially with like facilitators a bit bit harder to do so i think that for me was that was like one of the biggest losses but i think apart from that i think pallavi you covered everything uh i don't have any more questions so actually i would just want all the panelists if there's anything that you want to you know like add or anything that i might not have asked but you would want to share i wonder i want to kind of like you know definitely say uh, last few lines on a hopeful note i i do think that there are big perks to working online that i've observed through my consistent engagement with youth communities during the covid uh, enduring context for instance engaging young people with physical disabilities has mm-hmm. definitely been easier as stated mm-hmm. by them as well right that it mm-hmm. it's opened up the possibility for them to be part of a lot more discussions and meetings than before because of the culture of being comfortable with hosting these meetings online right so mm-hmm. um 
that's something that's definitely a positive that you know if this is something that uh, remains the norm in that even when we switch to you know sort of uh, on on ground meetings offline meetings that we keep uh, it quasi virtual so that you know we are inviting more and more uh, stakeholders to participate i think that's that's definitely a positive i think a second definite positive is that the boundaries of geography have never seemed more um, irrelevant for you know quick meetings the kind of conversations we've been having at the national level they're so much more diverse than they used to be it's typically so much more easy to involve so many other actors and we're constantly doing these consultations online when you're you know you're managing to mobilize uh, a broader community of people so i do think that that's again something that's a plus um, in terms of uh, this one so i think it's I don't know if i am hopeful that in a matter of time once we adapt uh, to the online space and you know develop or adopt the the requisite technology for really achieving inclusion um in its truest sense for all communities right in terms of language in terms of uh, you know in in terms of being inclusive for persons with diverse disabilities in terms of being uh, um in, you know inclusive even for communities that are perhaps that belong to digitally disenfranchised areas you know in order for them to be able to um also be part of the conversation i think these are these are challenges that would have anyway come um sort of to the fore perhaps at a you know at a later point in time but have come to the forward earlier to give us more time to really work on cracking this so i do think that um you know online engagement can be made more meaningful if we just you know determine to intentionally study how to um overcome those challenges and uh, you know allow for quasi virtual to be the new norm because there's a lot of other uh, positive uh, you know um, opportunities that it presents absolutely i actually share that sentiment and i feel like uh side that we've we've drafted uh, another sort of draft of the curriculum with with notes for virtual facilitation to help uh facilitators who would be doing this online uh, in the future yeah, i agree man so i think uh, uh, people are just far more comfortable and receptive to doing things online and i think there are some things that should be carried on post covid world also don't know when that will happen but um, uh, you know of how do we include uh, more people Uh, through different means thank you thank you vishali uh, thank you mansa thank you pallavi for uh, taking out the time to record this podcast today and i hope this has been very useful for our audience who uh, who are interested in carrying forward csc work 